we know that God always answers prayers. Sometimes we're just impatient and need to learn to wait on the Lord. It's a privilege to wait on God's time and for we know he loves us and loves those who wait. We should thank God for the opportunity to wait. Then, after we have waited our whole lives for God to answer our prayers the way we want him to, we get the opportunity to wait on him in death until he comes back for those who have passed before us. We can wait on God for eternity. And who doesn't love just spending all their time waiting on someone else? Wait, wait. I, I think I like the other one better. Stop, stop. Take two. Take two. Uh, okay. The Bible says that to leave this life is to be present with the Lord. And we are told to weep for the night and the joy comes in the morning. So death isn't real. You can be sad for your loved ones for a night, I guess. Only after they pass, of course. But you better act happy that next morning. And from then on, we're told to ignore death and just be happy. So do that. It's easy. This is the Bible After Hours. Hey, wait, hey, can you hear me? Is this thing on? Okay, good. I am the foul-mouthed preacher, and this is the underground church. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the language of the people. So that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, yes, occasionally there's going to be strong language, but that's not what this is about. It's just about talking like a normal person. So if you have kids listening, maybe t turn this off or wait till they're not around. The church above, most of the church above, a lot of the evangelical church in America wants to act like death doesn't affect Christians. And this isn't just the evangelical church. There's a bunch of churches, a bunch of religions, a bunch of people not in religion that like to act like death isn't really a thing. Like we just kind of ignore it. Um, and Christians specifically, it's because we believe in an afterlife. And we think that that should mean we have no reason to be sad when people go before us. They kind of teach it that way, right? Like, oh, no, you shouldn't be sad. He's in heaven now. They even say stuff at funerals like, you know, they're in a better place now. At a loved one's funeral, they'll go up to you and they'll say that. Like, that's supposed to be comforting. It must have just been their time. It certainly wasn't a good time to say that, buddy. Let me tell you that. Um, we're kind of disrespectful around death. We're kind of flippant about it. And uh, it's not okay. Um, not only do these statements feel like empty placating, but they're fundamentally unhelpful and dishonest. It's a cheap way to avoid sitting in grief with someone. When someone's just fucking hurting, just sit there and hurt with them. Like, shit, come on, guys. These statements and this kind of bad theology around death is a way to deflect deep sorrow. Because people just don't like dealing with it, and they don't know how to deal with it. It's a way to avoid reality. The church often avoids thinking about or teaching about death because it's kind of a bummer. And it's not really the kind of lesson that gets people in a giving mood or it doesn't really encourage people for the week to, you know, be living right with God. It, it's sad and it's hard to talk about. But the church should be more than just some inspirational speeches, I think. I think... Sunday morning when you go or when you're with your community or when you're hearing the pastor deliver messages, I, I think it should be more than just something inspirational. Um, first off, I think church isn't a place you go to where you hear someone speak. I think it's a group of people interacting with one another. But even the people speaking part 
can be deeper and prepare us better for things like this. And I, th I think it should. The world needs to see that religion is more than just a coping mechanism for death. Because so many people, so many people who are atheist or anti-religious, that's, that's all they think it is. And for a lot of people, it is that. It's just, oh, I can go to heaven if I live right, or I can avoid hell, or I need to know that my loved ones are going to be okay after death. And there's so much more to it than that. And in fact, I, that's not even something I care about in my religion. And I think the church needs to display that better to the world. It's more than a way to avoid reality and avoid the sting of death. It does say when, when Christ conquered death, which I believe he did, I believe there was a literal son of God who came to earth, died and rose again, defeated the grave, defeated hell. If hell's real, whatever hell is, whatever death is, I believe there was a real Jesus who came and defeated it. But that's where I'm, I'm going to differ from a lot of other people where I'm, I'm not sure about afterlife stuff. I'm not very certain and I'm not very certain that it matters. But I do think the topic of death is one we need to talk about better. I never really thought about death, nor was I taught to when I was when I was younger. It wasn't until I was older that I started dealing with this. Um, I grew up with a pretty large family, which was awesome. I grew up with tons of sisters, brothers, cousins around me all the time. Um, we all lived pretty close together, and it was great, especially at Christmas time when all the aunts and uncles get you presents. You know what I mean? Um, but as I got older the darker side of having a larger family started to creep up, right? Um, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of fuse that you didn't hear about when you were a kid. People stopped talking to each other. Then people started passing away, sometimes while they were still fighting with other family members. And nothing ever got resolved. For me, that was, tr that was more tragic than the ones I loved the most passing. Was sometimes the ones you loved the most, everybody was ready for it. And sometimes the ones that were fighting with everyone no one was prepared to lose them without getting any atonement or resolution. People don't understand that it doesn't hurt any less when your grandparents or your uncles pass away just because you have a bigger family. They think, you know, you have a bigger family, you have other uncles, they act like it's more sad when you only have one and it passes away. And I'm sure that is equally tragic and it's tragic in a different way than what I went through. I'm sure it is. I don't mean to demean anybody's experience. Um, I'm more just trying to fight for people who had my experience, not to be demeaned in their loss either. Um, and it does help to have more family when you're going through some of the shit because they're there for you. you. Your family is there for you through all of the shit. But the loss of anyone in your life is just as real. And in fact, um, if, you, if you follow C.S. Lewis the way me and my friends do, what you see is you don't just lose person A, but you lose that part of that person in your other friends or in your other family. So I didn't just lose my grandmother, right? I, I lost that part of my grandmother that act, that's only activated in my mom when she's around my grandmother, right? I, I lost that part of my cousin that only sparks up when she's around my grandmother. So in a way you lose a lot when you have a bigger family that you don't lose when you have a smaller family, but you have more people to help you get through it. Um, the, the point really is just that death hurts just as much. No one can replace that uncle that passed away. Even if you have three other uncles, 10 other uncles, 100 other uncles, no one can replace the loss. In one year, I lost more than 10 family members who I was very close to. I lost a fellow pastor I was close friends with. I even lost one of my grandparents that year. There are certainly more tragic stories out there and people who've gone through way worse stuff every day, every fucking day, and I know that. I'm not trying to throw a pity party, I just want to let you guys know that I understand death. 
It's not something I'm a stranger to. I'm not talking out of ignorance. I know what it's like to lose someone and to not have any good framework to think about death with. I know what it's like to be told to just move on, to just be happy for what you have, or to be told that everything happens for a reason. And I know it's just, it's awful. It's shitty. I get it. So if you have lost someone in the past, if you're going through a loss right now, or if you know someone in your family who's going to pass soon, that I really hope this episode is going to help give you a better framework than what I had in that year to deal with and think about death. If you feel like you can't weep or mourn for those whom you love that passed away, then I hope this episode will help give yourself permission to weep loudly and allow yourself to feel the loss you have in your life better. If you know someone or have a friend who is going through loss, then I hope this episode is going to help you better know what to say and how to be there for your friends. And if you are going to die one day, and that's everyone, by the way, I hope this conversation can help you better think about what to prepare for your own death and to prepare those you love for one day losing you if you pass before them, which some of them you probably will. The church has a really long and rich history dealing with the subject of death. Um, also a pretty complex history with this subject. Um, starting all the way in the Old Testament, uh, kind of with the Hebrew tradition, there really wasn't any original doctrine of an afterlife. Um, which, you know, that's where our faith started uh, for a long time, thousands of years, when you go through the Old Testament, there just wasn't any mention of hell or heaven or anything like that. Um, the Old Testament can really, it can be divided into two parts for, for our purposes. Also, side note, heaven is mentioned, but a lot of times in the Old Testament when it says heavens, it means space. They just didn't have that word yet. Because you're talking about the stars and the heavens. Well, that's not... Okay. Just a side note. The Old Testament can be divided into two parts for this, though. Um, there's before the exile and after the exile. The exile is when Babylon conquers Israel and Judah and takes a lot of the Hebrew people captive. Um, and that's just part of the biblical story. So, before the exile, there was language for Sheol which is this dwelling place for the dead, and there really isn't any distinctions made who goes there. You know, there's no saved, there's no sinners, there's no good people or bad people. Everybody is in Sheol. You die, you're in Sheol. It's like the grave. It's like a spiritual concept of death. Um, after the exile, the Old Testament kind of does mention hell. Kind of? No. After the exile, the Old Testament doesn't really mention hell still. You're still going to get some prophets who talk about a new heaven and a new earth. Again, I think heaven is just trying to space here. I think it's just saying creation's gonna start over at some point. Um, and, and some people seem to believe that that means that we will be in the new heaven and new earth. Some of the prophets don't really seem to imply that, so it, it's still not sure. And there's still no mention of hell or place for bad guys. There's no mention of being saved or not in the Old Testament at this point. Although it is important that you follow the law because that's how you develop this relationship with God. And that seems to be what's important is your relationship with God in the present and what you leave for the generations to come. You know, there isn't a go to heaven, go to hell. There's a be right with God so that the people of God, the Israelites, will flourish and do well. Be right with God and follow the commandments so your kids and their kids will be blessed by God on this earth. There isn't a promise of heaven or anything that they're all searching for and longing for like we do today. So that is what God wanted to establish. And I think the reason it wasn't mentioned for so long in the Bible is because that is more important to God. Your relationship right now, at any given moment, I think it's important to God for you to learn to be present with him and with his people. Now, this also kind of depends on what Bible you're using. 
Um, if you're using the Protestant Bible, that's the end of the Old Testament story. If you're using what was the Christian Bible for most of the time of Christianity for, thou for a thousand plus years, and what the Catholics still use, what the Orthodox still use, you're gonna get included some different books, including First and Second Maccabees. Um, and this is where a lot of the controversy of the Protestant Reformation comes from. These, they were canon for a long time in all of Christianity, and they're still canon in some churches, not others. You know, you look at Catholic Church, Orthodox churches, they kind of have a better understanding of these books usually because they're in their Bibles. Um, and, and the reason this happened is because, partially because of how Catholics treated um, penance and purgatory. For a long time, you could purchase a bunch of indulgences and that the belief was that your loved ones who died were in purgatory, and if you buy enough indulgences, it'll be easier for them to get to heaven one day, et cetera, et cetera. And some parts of the Catholic Church, because at one point there wasn't phones and internet and they couldn't really control everything as well, the Catholic Church got really big, and even though they had a hierarchy, it was hard to oversee everything. Um, and some parts were abusing this idea of indulgences and just using it as a way to take money from people and not actually being um, consistent or earnest in their beliefs. So, th so a lot of this it comes from the book Second Maccabees, chapters 12, 41 through 45. And again, this seems to be a book that disciples believed was the Bible. Um, Augustine believed was the Bible. Thomas Aquinas believed was the Bible. A lot of these philosophers, theologians that we respected before the Protestant Reformation all believed that this was the Bible. So listen to this. Then they all blessed the just judgment of the Lord who had discovered the things that were hidden. So they just discovered a bunch of hidden stuff in the temple after this big battle kind of deal. And so betaking themselves to prayer, they besought him that the sin which had been committed might be forgotten. But the most valiant, Judas, that's Judas Maccabee, exhorted the people to keep themselves from sin for as much as they saw before their eyes what had happened because of the sins of those that were slain. So don't sin. We saw what happened to those who did sin and were just killed. Um, making a gathering, he sent 12,000 pieces of silver to Jerusalem to sacrifice, to be offered for the sins of the dead, thinking well and religiously concerning the resurrection. So at this point, they do believe in some kind of resurrection and the people are offering money for sacrifices so that people can make sacrifices on behalf of those who have already died, who sinned, their life is over. For if he had not hoped that they that were slain should rise again, it would have seemed superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. So because we know there's a resurrection, there's a need to pray for the dead. And because he considered that they who had fallen asleep with godliness had great grace laid up for them. So he did seem to believe in some kind of afterlife where those who were without sin and who were righteous were going to get rewarded and those who were with sin were not going to be rewarded. Still no real mention of hell here. But this is sort of where part of the doctrine of purgatory picks up. There's also parts where Jesus talks about uh, Abraham's bosom, other parts of Paul's letter that kind of seems like there might be an in-between heaven and hell area. I, I don't know what I believe about purgatory personally. Um, but... This is where that doctrine comes from. Um, and, and this shows that sometime before the New Testament, there was a belief in judgment after death. And it was because it was a part of Hebrew theology. During the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles all spoke of heaven and hell as real places. So we know that at some point, this doctrine came up. It wasn't invented by Jesus and the apostles. They taught as if everybody already knew it. 
So when the New Testament started, that was just part of the doctrine, was this idea of a heaven and hell one day. Um, the early church, up until the Protestant Reformation, they believed in heaven, hell, and purgatory. Uh, so purgatory wasn't really a debated thing for, for most of Christianity. It was just something we all believed. It wasn't a place for those who were in between, like a lot of people think of it as. Rather, it was a place that anyone saved had to go there to be purified before they can go to heaven. Because heaven is a place without sin, we all saints, everybody who is saved still has a little bit of sin left over. So when we die, we have to go through purgatory before we are able to go to heaven. Um, you know, again, a lot of the doctrines from Second Maccabees, and it's just waiting for this idea of judgment day. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there was that part of the church that was using it for ill purposes, and it was a corruption of that original doctrine that we're all going to purgatory to be purified so that we can go to heaven. Not all, but all the, all the saints, all those who are saved. Augustine taught that the dead should be revered. He, he believed that we should have reverence for the dead, that we should bury the dead, and be respectful towards the bodies of those who have passed away as Christians. Because one day they're going to rise again, and we need to be respectful of their bodies who will rise again one day. Um, and he, he started that tradition of burying the dead. And it was because, you know, in his time, there was this great war. There was the great fall of Rome, and he saw a lot of death. So he developed theology around death and around a deep sadness over the many deaths of Christians that fell at that time. At some point, the church developed this idea that because our bodies will rise again, we shouldn't burn bodies. We shouldn't behead bodies. We kind of got a little superstitious about it, and a lot of the church still is. Even the Baptist church, you know, Al Mohler still says some stuff about being anti having your body cremated and different things like that. Um, to me, that really seems superstitious because we do know when a body sat long enough, it's gonna just return to dust. Even the Bible says a body returned to dust. I think that's part of God's plan. So I think it's a little superstitious to treat the body with that much. We should treat bodies with respect, but maybe not treat them superstitiously. I'm gonna get more on what I think we should do with dead bodies later because I actually do think it's an important part of our theology. Um, during the Reformation, Martin Luther taught against what the Catholic Church was doing. Um, and, and that was one of the major points of tension was just how they were exploiting people to pay extra for indulgences for those who were in purgatory. He was so anti this, he wanted to completely do, get rid of purgatory. And part of how he was going to do that is going back to what Jerome thought was the Bible as opposed to Augustine. That's why we see this change in the canon of the Bible 1,500 years later or 1,200 years later, depending on when the Bible was canonized, because Martin Luther just didn't like what was going on with purgatory. He didn't think that these books should be canon because he thinks if you get them out of canon, Second Maccabees is out of canon, then we don't have to believe in purgatory. It's basically his thing. He didn't like the doctrine, so he changed the Bible. One quote from Martin Luther was, every man must do two things alone. There's two things you have to do by yourself. He must do his own believing. We all have to come to Christ on our own and he must do his own dying. No one can die for you. It's kind of what he's saying. Um, yes, Jesus died for all of our sins, but he didn't do that physical death thing that we're all gonna have to do. Um, and it was important, uh, Martin Luther, especially with what's going on with this idea of purgatory and indulgences to think deeply about death and what does it mean for those today? And it was a reaction to his own times. You know, I'm not convinced whether it was good theology or not. Uh, you know, I don't think we could look at this and say, oh, well, he shouldn't have changed the Bible. Well, he was wrong about purgatory. He was just doing it out of an emotional reaction. Uh, just because it was an emotional reaction doesn't mean it was wrong.
the Catholic Church today is pretty strict on preventing the kind of corruption that happened during Martin Luther's times. Um, now, it still maintains this view that purgatory is real and that everyone who is saved enters purgatory to kind of go through a cleansing cycle before they're able to enter into heaven, right? Um, they still believe that you can pay, that, that you need to atone for the sins you committed, basically. Um, and they allow indulgences still, one a day. You can no longer just buy one, though. You have to earn it through different methods. And that you still... Even earning it, you can only earn one a day, and it's to prevent the same kind of corruption that happened in Martin Luther's time from happening again. They don't want that to happen again. They hated that, and part of Martin Luther's Protestant Reformation is what led to the Second Council of Trent and changed a lot of Catholic practice around this area. Not theology. Their theology relies on tradition. The tradition didn't change, but the practice did in some ways. Some meaningful ways, I would say, in some good ways. Um, you know, I'm not sure if Luther had the right to change the Bible or to change that doctrine. Uh, he did. Um, and I'm not sure that... But what, what I am sure of that I, I strongly disagree with the Catholic Church is, is that Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. So we can't look at Second Matthew's before Jesus where he made a sacrifice for the dead so that their prayers would be heard and think that we still need to do something like that today with indulgences or anything like that. I, I think that's anti-biblical. We don't do sacrifices anymore. Jesus' sacrifice was the final sacrifice. That doesn't mean we can't still pray for the dead. Maybe that doctrine's up in the air. It doesn't mean purgatory isn't real or is real. That might still be up in the air. I don't know. What I do know is Jesus' sacrifice was final. Protestant Church today mostly just teaches, don't be sad about death, because we know there's a, a life after this one. Um, that being said, Tim Keller actually has an excellent book it's just of death or on death, and it's examining the reality of our loss today, while also considering that those who have gone before us have gained. So he, he kind of teaches, and I think this is an important thing to be taught, that yes, I truly did lose something when my uncle passed away. I truly did. And I can be sad about that. I can weep and mourn. And in one way, that's one way I can respect the dead. Like Augustine thought we should do, we should revere the dead. And I think one way is to be sad, to mourn my very real loss. I will not see my uncle again in this lifetime. But also to see what my uncle has gained. If you believe in a heaven and an afterlife, they've gained that. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, if you're not so sure about that, but you are sure that there is this thing called the kingdom of God and that his relationship builds that kingdom of God in our relationship now, and that it meant something for the generations that followed. See what he gained, see what he accomplished. You could see that gain and appreciate it while also truly mourning and respecting their loss by grieving. I mean, imagine if you died and no one said a, a single tear. What that says about you really isn't, oh, they all know you're going to heaven, it's that nobody fucking cared. It's okay to cry. I think it's a good thing to cry, to show what that loss really meant to you openly. I think it's important to mourn openly and deeply. And I went through that whole history of the church's views on death and afterlife, just to let you know that I, re I really don't think it matters um, if there is or is not an afterlife. You know, Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is what exists right now, today. For a long time in the Old Testament, there wasn't an idea of heaven or hell that was what does our relationship with God mean right now and how is it going to impact the generations to come? Um, once you've accepted Christ in your heart and you decide to live in his spirit and confess your sins, at that moment, 
you're part of the kingdom of God. You are called to action right then and there. It's not just one day I'll go to heaven, one day I won't go to hell. It is now you're part of the kingdom, do something about it. Build that relationship with God. Build for the next generations. This is why I love David and Goliath so much. David's all this fucking giant teasing Israel, picking on them, being just a douche. And he decided something needed to be done. Um, he didn't stop and pray. He didn't do any of that bullshit. He went out there with a, with a slingshot. He had faith in God and he just killed the fucker. The man after God's own heart was a man of action, not a man of prayer and waiting and almost just see what happens. And yet, yeah, prayer is important, but so is action. And that's why I love David. He said, hey, this fucker's in our way. We're God's people. Uh, let's kill him. Genius. That's what needs to be done, and he did it. I think that's what's missing from a lot of the church and Christianity today. Sometimes we just need to be people of action. Also people of prayer, but people of action. I still think it's important to think about death, though. Even if I think that's not the end goal, is an afterlife. Even though I'm not sure if heaven, hell, or purgatory are real at all. I think it's important because we all deal with death. The death, our own death, and the death of others. Um, the Bible states that sin will lead to death. And in several different places it says stuff like this. Um, God even states when Adam and Eve disobey, whether you believe they are literal or not, doesn't really matter. The story is the story. He said that they will surely die in the garden. But in that story, they don't die when they eat of the fruit. They eat of this fruit that supposedly when they do, they're going to die, they don't die. What's the deal? There's a few different ways to view this and to make sense of this. Uh, a lot of people did different stuff throughout history of God not immediately delivering his promise. He didn't immediately kill them. What does that mean? Um, one is to say that God never intended death to be a part of the human experience at all. And that by sinning, like Adam and Eve sinned, that one day we will die. Everyone who sins will die. Which means, theoretically, if you never sin, death should never happen, right? Um, another way is to say that because Adam sinned, we will all one day die. We all inherit his guilt and we all will die because he sinned. Now sin exists and sin means death. Um, now, I don't believe in a literal first Adam, so the last one doesn't make a ton of sense to me and how I read the Bible. But because sin exists, death exists in a literal way. That's one way to view this. There are actually a few different ways to view this and make sense of that. Another way to view this um, as meaning something other than just a physical, literal death, I believe the moment that we sin, something in us does die. Every one of us, when we make the choice to sin, some part of us dies. And I think it's a spiritual experience. And I believe when we accept Christ into our hearts, we believe he, he died and rose again. At that moment, we become alive again on the inside. There's something in us that wakes up, sees the light. It's something of a spiritual revelation. If you've ever experienced salvation, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's a sort of spiritual enlightenment, if you will. Of course, both the literal and metaphysical, metaphorical death, like all of this can both, they can both be true, right? Um, one isn't more important to believe than the other necessarily, but I, I think to me, it's more valuable to understand how Christ's death meaningfully means was him dying with us because right now we're all sinners we all have death in us and when christ literally rose we can now rise in him and that part of us that we that we killed by sinning can be alive again the bible also says a lot about how to be absent from this life is to be present with the lord um, you know and there's a lot that kind of mentions heaven some place to go afterwards um, and how those who have gone before us are with the divine right now this, again, could be literal. I, I hope it is. That would be great. But also could refer to how they become part of the sacred tradition. That's capital T tradition for me. 
Um, and I understand tradition differently than the Catholics and Orthodox. Um, and, and it's a way that we live and engage God. Part of my relationship with God today is a continuation of Augustine's relationship. It's a continuation of St. Paul's relationship, of Moses's relationship, of my uncle, even of his relationship with God, continues with my relationship with God. And it's in a real tangible way, they live in us, not just in our memories, not just, you know, our relationship with God, you know, we kind of think of them and we want to do the same things that they did. No, I think there's a meaningful way that their relationship is now part of my relationship when I understand tradition and engage it as if it is a living thing, just like the Bible is a living word. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and in her mother and in your mother Eunice. I am sure that it is in you as well. He's not saying that your faith imitates them or is like them. He's saying that their faith is now in you. That's something that Paul writes to Timothy right here pretty blatantly. And I, I think it's an important part of how I understand tradition is that it's not just that my relationship with God imitates Augustine's or imitates my uncles or my grandparents or, or Martin Luther's or whoever. It's not just an imitation. It is a pass down of that faith. You know, um, it, it's said in different places that, that the spirit of Paul is a revival of the spirit of one of the prophets, you know, different things. And, and I think it's because our relationships actually pass down. Which is why I think Jesus said that you'll do even greater things than I did when he's talking to the church and miracles and stuff. I think it's because we weren't meant to say, oh, I want a relationship like what Jesus had with God or like what Moses had with God. I think we're supposed to take their relationship, incorporate it in our own relationship as something meaningful. We actually inherit that relationship with God as man's relationship with God. So once we enter into salvation, we have all of those relationships are now part of our relationship with God and we build on it for the next generation and they'll inherit what relationship I have with God and all of these others. So is there life after death? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if there literally is and I don't know about an afterlife. Um, and sure, people still live on in our memories and in our hearts, but I think their relationship with God now lives in us in a literal way, in a meaningful way. I now carry on the legacy of family members who are known for their acceptance and love of others. And, and that extension of how they related to God of by accepting others and loving people, that now lives in me. That's now part of my relationship with God. They're gone from my life. They're now more a part of my life because they're a part of my relationship with God. How Paul wrestled with God intellectually, that part of his faith now lives in me. That's part of my relationship with God now because I inherited that faith. Tradition, like the Bible, is a real, tangible, living thing. It's not just something we could study and understand. It's something that we engage with and that lives in us. It lives in our hearts. Um, it informs our relationship with God, whether or not there is an afterlife. So in that way, whether heaven's real, whether hell's real, you know, there's a lot of theological debate around those things, or if they were just meant as metaphors, whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. What does matter is that those relationships that those who've gone before me had with God now lives in me, literally, not just a memory, not just an imitation. The first commandments to mankind was to take care of the earth and not eat of the fruit of some tree or something. Um, mankind always chooses sin. That's kind of the point of the story. But God always provides a mean of redemption and atonement. Sin led to death in many ways for us all. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, something in us dies when we sin. But death is never the end of the story. We can accept Christ and our spirits will come alive again, right? 
And after our body dies, those in Christ continue to live in tradition and maybe also in a literal heaven, who knows? There is some comfort in that. And because of how we know they live on, we honor the bodies of our dead, right? Um, some honor by burying, having funeral services, like Augustine thought. That's a good and it's a powerful thing. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that I think everybody's stupid who is trying to preserve these literal bodies, even though the bodies are gonna turn to dust, who think we can't cremate, we can't behead anybody, whatever. I think there's a more beautiful way to even look at that. You know, part of our doctrine and our understanding of God comes from creation. And what we see is that God meant all things for good. What we see in nature is when something decays, it, it begins to compost. You see things growing out of dead trees, right, of dead bodies. You see some things are able to live off of feeding off the dead. That life always comes from death. That's just a natural fact. That's one way that God made evident that we will live again, that life comes from death. He made it evident when we see how animals and plants die out in nature, what happens and what life comes from that. I don't think there's a better way to honor the dead than to care for our planet with our dead, to care for one another with our dead. Um, I'll talk about that more in a minute. But the first commandment that we had was care for the planet. And in this life, we've all sinned, right? We've all fall short of caring for this planet, of caring for one another. But in death, our bodies can be used to atone for original sin by providing new life in a literal way. So literally, when you die, your body can create life for the planet. If you're an organ donor, you can give life to others. There is a literal, meaningful way that God's provided where your death can be life for others, that you can atone for not caring for the earth. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 26 through 30. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings for deep words, um, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he glorified. What better way to be glorified than in death? In death, we live more fully. By atoning for our sins and by becoming part of the living tradition, generations to come will experience God through your relationship with God. The enemy may mean death to be the final word, a word of sadness and pain, of tragedy sometimes. But God takes that pain and he works through it. He does not get rid of it. God doesn't say he, he gets rid of the bad and makes a good thing instead. He says he works all things for good, right? Um, another place says, with the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. God works with our pain. He doesn't get rid of it. He works with the death of our loved ones. He doesn't change the death. And it turns into a beautiful new way to add to our experience of the divine. I want you all to think of those who've gone before you in the Lord. If you've lost any loved ones, any friends, think about in what ways they continue to live on in your relationship with God. Honor them in your weeping, in your mourning. Honor them in your sadness. Honor them in your relationship with God now that lives partially because of their relationship with God. If you've never lost a loved one, I want you to think about your relationship with God right now and what you will one day pass on to others. How are you contributing to the tradition, that capital T tradition? And how would you like to contribute? It's kind of your choice, right? Um, even more, think about how 
Your death can one day provide new life for others. Are you an organ donor? I, th I think you should be. You know, I don't believe in the superstitious thing of our bodies needing to be preserved perfectly. I, I think we should meaningfully atone in our death. And one way is be an organ donor. Give life to others with your death. Look into what it takes. Uh, in, in the U.S., you pretty much just do a little check mark, and there's a little heart on your ID card. It takes literally nothing from you. You won't feel it. You're dead. Um, a friend told me about compost. You can now compost your body to create this rich soil so that you can care for the planet with your death. So that, you know, that first commandment, you can make atonement for again. Um, if you haven't, look into fetal tissue research. See how you can support it. Um, regardless of how, what you believe about abortion, side note, um, stem cell research has nothing to do with abortion. They don't get the stem cells that way. They do get fetal tissue for some of these research from abortions. And if you think abortion is an evil thing, good news, God works all things together for good. If you think what happened to these women is tragic and that they deserve the right to abortion in some cases, good news. God works all things together for good. If you think no matter what, abortion is tragic, like what I believe is abortion is tragic for the woman who has to go through this, for whatever reason she's going through it, it's still tragic. It's still trauma to the body. And it saddens me that they have to go through this. It saddens me that life has either been stopped or killed in the womb. I think that's tragic also. I think it's terrible. Abortion saddens me deeply. But I also believe that God works all things together for good and that the church should support fetal tissue research for this reason. Whether your church believes in abortion or not, you should believe that God works what the enemy meant for evil for good and that we could find new ways to provide life today to care for those who are alive currently through these tragedies, through this loss, through fetal tissue research. Um, so I think that's important. I think organ donation is important. I think looking into having your body composted could be important. Don't let your death just be something for your loved ones. Don't let it be whatever. I, I think it's important to let your death mean something literal and physical to the earth. Um, and of course, I could be wrong, but I think that's a beautiful way to respect our loved ones by letting their bodies provide back for what they've taken. I think it's a beautiful way that God has glorified us by letting our bodies atone for the very sin that we've committed of not caring for the earth. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing. But as we, whatever you do, as we're thinking of our own deaths and the deaths of those who've gone before us, of tradition, of, um, of how we contribute to tradition one day, of what it means for our souls to be dead or alive, um, I think as we do this, we won't feel like we need to just ignore death or wait until we see our loved ones again one day in the afterlife. Um, we're going to have the opportunity to experience our loved ones in us and with us right now. Our relationship with God will grow and become more than it ever has been. And it'll be more than those who've gone before us had because we're now a part of that relationship. We get to build onto their relationship. So our relationship with God gets to be even deeper because we're going on to that. And I think that's what they would have wanted. When we pass away one day, we will live on with our loved ones and their relationships with God. So how we live now matters. If we acknowledge this right now, then we can add even more to the relationship future generations will have with the divine by contributing to that relationship right now that they're going to inherit. I don't want you to share this on your public social media accounts. Um, I, I said fuck a few times, and I could offend people, and that's not the goal of this. But I do want you to share it with one friend or one family member who you think might benefit from hearing this and engaging with 
this topic of death with this conversation in a meaningful way and have these conversations, prepare one another. Let's, let's build a better framework to deal for dealing with death. And let's bring the church back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.